Well, are you glad to be here? The psalmist, he said that he was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And we know that Jesus made a promise. He said, where two or three of you are gathered together, I'm there in the midst of them. So uh, I'm here. And if you're here, then that means he's here, right? And um, we have an audience with the king, we also have something that we really need, is we have him being our teacher. You know, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We don't have to rely on a man to teach us, because if you're limited to only what I know, I mean, woe is you, right? So don't limit yourself to what I know, or any wisdom that I might have, but rather look to the Lord to be your teacher, and then there's no limit to what you can learn and the wisdom you can grow up in. I mean, that's how I have to do it, right? Because I don't have any wisdom of myself to give you. So I have to look to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, what do you want us to study today? And what do you want us to look at and learn? And and so let's just take a moment right now and let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us tonight. Father, I thank you that you are faithful in every way and that you've never let us down. And we just present ourselves here to you. Lord, we want you to be glorified tonight. And Lord, be our teacher tonight. Open up our eyes to see truth, maybe in ways we've not seen it before. Give us ears to hear you, to hear your word clearly, not through the filters of our past experiences or what we've been taught, but Father, as you intended it to be, I ask this of you. I thank you for it. I believe I receive it and that you receive it in Jesus' name and amen. You know, Jesus said, ask, and you'll go bumping along wishing you had, but you'll have to do without. No, oh, that's not what he said. I'm glad there's some people in here that have read their Bible. (laughs) No, ask and you shall what? Receive. Receive. That's right. So we've asked. So man, absolutely expect that tonight I'm going home with more of his wisdom activated in me than I had before. Before I go any further, I want to take a moment, and um, we, have, we have a guest with us tonight, several, but one in particular that I want to pray for, and um, if you would, Carrie, just stand up where you're at, and we'll embarrass you properly. And um, Carrie is a police officer with the Lancaster City Police Department, and so, yeah. Certainly difficult times for that kind of job, but we're grateful for you and for saying yes to the job and, um, and being there. And so we're just going to pray for you. We'll pray protection over you as well as, as um, wisdom of God to operate in you because there's protection in wisdom as well, right? And there's promotion in it, right? So if you would, just stretch out your hands to, to carry into the Lord and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much right now. Uh, for Carrie and for what you've already done in her life. And Father, we just ask you to encounter her in this moment with your love, with your compassion, with grace, with wisdom, with everything that she needs, Father, for where she is now in this current time. Father, I ask you uh, in particular for safety for her, for protection for her, that any assignment of the enemy against her, we just call it null and void right now in Jesus' name, harmless to you. 
And we release the blessing and peace of God upon you and wisdom of God to know which way to go, how to go. Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Don't go there, Lord. Whatever is required to walk in peace and in safety, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Isn't God amazing? Let's go over to Proverbs chapter 4. And if you came tonight expecting to hear a Thanksgiving message, you're going to hear a Thanksgiving message, but maybe just not in the way you would normally hear one for a special Thanksgiving service. You know, every week is Thanksgiving week. And, and before I go into the sermon, let me just say this about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was established by presidents. It, there was many proclamations of Thanksgiving written through the years until finally they made it a national holiday. But the whole declaration and the reason it was made into a holiday was to thank God. That's in the proclamation and in the declaration. To thank God for bringing us through another year. To thank Him for another harvest. To just simply thank Him for His goodness. And so we have a, a day that is set aside every year in this nation to thank God. So make sure that you don't just go through that day and eat a bunch of turkey and go home fat and full, but make it about thanking the Lord. Thank Him and then eat the turkey and then thank Him again, right? Especially thank Him for the finances to be able to buy a turkey. It's a lot higher than it was last year. All right, Proverbs 4. This is sermon number nine in the series that we began called Get Wisdom. And we have um, had seven sermons, um, particularly on how to get wisdom. What is wisdom and how do I get it? And then we kind of shifted. We're still talking about wisdom, but last sermon, sermon number eight in this one, is about wealth and wisdom and the correlation and the connection between those two. And so we're going to continue on in that. But before I do that, I'm going to just recap very, very quickly for you um, kind of the things we've talked about already. So let's begin in Proverbs 4 and verse 1. Listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. For I am giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. So get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom and whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her. That would be wisdom. Cherish wisdom. And she will exalt you. That promotion we were talking about. And if you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head and she will give you a crown of beauty. We saw in Scripture that wisdom means skillful. That's what the word means. So get wisdom is get skill. All right? But not skill in necessarily the way you're thinking about a learned skill. Although you can learn these skills. But we're talking about a divine skill that comes to you and helps you learn a natural skill. In fact, we, we said it this way in, in Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 8. It says, a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. See, the wisdom of God, the skill to know how to use your understanding, 
that you currently have, or, or and the knowledge that you have, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, all three separate things. Knowledge is what you know. Understanding is insight into what you know. And then wisdom is using knowledge and understanding skillfully. All right? And so we can know the right time and place how something should or should not be done. The next thing we looked at is we looked at why is wisdom supreme? What makes wisdom supreme? And we saw that it's because godly wisdom is you, someone say me, knowing what God's will is for you in any given situation. If you know the will of God for your situation, that's you having godly wisdom for that situation. That's why wisdom is supreme. Because what could be better than to know what God wants you to do? We asked and we answered the question, how do I get wisdom? In fact, we looked at ten ways that wisdom come, how we get wisdom. And get wisdom simply is this. Are you ready for it? It's available to everyone and it's up to you to get it. Get wisdom implies you need more wisdom. It also implies it's available to you. And it also implies that not only do you need more and it's available, but that if you will go after it, you will actually get it and attain it. Else he wouldn't tell us to get it. Because it would just be a useless exercise. So ten ways we looked at it how to get wisdom. If you say, well, what are those ten ways? Well, go back and listen to the previous seven sermons, eight sermons, and, and you'll learn those. So last week, we began to look at the connection between wisdom and riches. And we firmly established um, some truths about wisdom and riches, and we're going to continue in that. Um, just to review a little bit, touch lightly on what we went through last week. You know, in Second Chronicles 9, we saw that it says the King Solomon... Remember, he's the one who wrote what we just read about all this getting wisdom. That King Solomon, he was the wisest and richest man of his time. That nobody was as wise or as rich as him. And if you remember the story about Solomon, Solomon had this wisdom because the Lord showed up to him in a dream one night and said, what do you want, Solomon? This was right after he's put in as king over Israel and, and Judah. And he says, Lord, I want wisdom to know how to judge these people. And so the Lord said, alright, wisdom it will be. However, with wisdom is going to come riches and honor and long life and all these things. And so Solomon became the wisest. He also became the wealthiest man of his time. And most of us, looking at, at Solomon's wisdom, most of us would be quick to agree that his wisdom was connected to his riches. We would say, yeah, yeah, that's why he had riches, because he was so wise. However, through the years, there's been a lot of wrong teaching on riches in the church, riches in a Christian's life. There's been a lot of wrong teaching on um, should we even desire to be rich? Because it's been made out in many places that poverty is some sort of holiness or righteousness. And it's absolutely not. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if we're quick to say, well, there was a link between Solomon's wisdom and his riches, then we should be quick to say there's a link between me being wise and me being rich. Because Solomon is, these rules don't apply to Solomon, but then not to us, right? And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures continuing in this. And so let me just ask you the question I asked this last week Does God want you to be wise? Yeah, we have scripture after scripture after scripture that tells us that. 
that we're expected to be wise. Well, if He wants you to be wise, what comes with wisdom? Riches. Last week, I mean, we looked at loads of Scriptures on that. You know, Jesus was, Jesus was made wisdom for us. It tells us in, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Jesus was made wisdom for you. So does God want you to be wise? Yep, He sought to it to even make Jesus wisdom for you. So the question is, does the wisdom of God bring wealth with it? That was what we asked. And more importantly, we were specific about the question, does God want me to be rich? Does God want me to be rich? I grew up thinking that no. He doesn't. Because if He did, I'd be rich. See, I had the understanding that everything that happens is somehow, that's what, how you determine what God's will is in the matter. Well, they're rich, so the Lord knew they could handle the money and the finances, so He gave it to them. But I'm over here, I was talking with one my uncle, in fact, one years ago, and he was saying, yeah, the reason that he does, he's not rich and the reason the Lord's never blessed him with wealth is because he wouldn't handle the money right. I said, well, then you need to just get your heart right with the Lord and get, get the love of money out of you so that He can bless and use you. He kind of looked at me. I said, I mean, come on. If, you, if the Lord, aren't we tasked with taking the Gospel to the whole world? To the uttermost part? Well, that's expensive. How are we going to take the Gospel to the whole world with no money? You can't. You can't. It takes money to do these things. So the Lord needs you and I to be rich for His purposes. And, well, let's just read. Does God want me to be rich? Still recapping on last week. Proverbs 3. I'm going to read to you out of Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 8. Proverbs 3.13. Listen to this. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and acquires understanding. For she is more profitable than silver. Her revenue is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life, we're talking about wisdom, long life is in her right hand, and in her left, riches and honor. So what comes with wisdom? When wisdom shows up at the door, you know what's in her right hand? Long life. In her left hand is riches and honor. So, you, unless you cut wisdom's arms off, we said, you can't separate wisdom, God's wisdom, from God's riches. Or God's long life for you. Or honor. Godly honor for you. It goes on and says in verse 17, her ways are pleasant and all her paths are peaceful. Still talking about, about riches. I mean about wisdom. If you walk in wisdom, the way is pleasant. Her paths are peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. Look, at, look in Proverbs 8, verse 11. Wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can equal it. I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. So the subject matter is wisdom. That's why I read those two verses. That way you just clearly understand what, what they're going to say next is wisdom speaking. I, wisdom. Alright, jump down to verse 17. Wisdom says, I love those who love me. And those who search for me, find me. Now let me just add this in. If, you, if this is your first time with us tonight, because this is something we covered in detail, wisdom is a spirit. Wisdom is a spirit. It is clearly defined as the spirit of wisdom in Ephesians. And in the Old Testament you can see it. And it was one of the spirits that the Lord Jesus said He operated in the spirit of wisdom. So it's not just a phrase, right? Spirit of something means it's an actual being. 
Just like fear is an actual spirit being. I've not given you a spirit of fear. One the same way wisdom is a spirit being. So that's why wisdom can talk. That's why wisdom has the ability, it brings things with it. So, starting in 17 again. I love those who love me, and those who search for me find me. With me, with wisdom, are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. Well, would a wise person walk in righteousness? Yeah, yeah, we can quickly agree to that. Well, would a wise person then also walk in lasting wealth? Yes, yes, yes. She goes on and says, My fruit is better than solid gold, and my harvest than pure silver. Why is wisdom better than gold? Gold can be gone like that. But if you've got the wisdom of God in you, guess what? There's more of that, what was just left. I walk in the ways of righteousness, along the paths of justice, giving wealth, giving wealth. Wisdom gives wealth as an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. What is a treasury? It's your bank account. Filling your bank account. Wisdom will do that. And wisdom is better than gold or silver or American dollars or the euro or whatever you're measuring against because with wisdom comes more wealth. But if you just look at wealth as in and of itself as your source, once it's gone, it's gone. There's no more. Remember um, in Deuteronomy where the Lord, it says, the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. The Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Someone say, He gives me the power to gain wealth. And He went on and said, it's in order to confirm His covenant. Is why He gave you that power. To confirm His covenant. And we talked about the covenant of the Lord. We're under a new covenant. So that was old covenant. But the new covenant, it says, is better than the old covenant. So it must include what the old covenant included plus. Or else it's not better. I mean, if I, get, if I have a vacuum that I'm sweeping my floor with, and it picks up most of the dirt, and I decide to go out and buy a new vacuum, there's a few things I'm going to expect that new vacuum to do because I'm expecting it's better. It's going to pick up more dirt. It's going to probably be easier to push and quieter, right? Be able to get it into, it's more agile than the big lunky old vacuum, right? So it's better. Or, or, or we said it this way, we explained it this way, if I held up a $100 bill and a $50 bill, which is better? Well, the $100 bill is better because it includes everything that the 50 has plus more. Well, that's how the new covenant is. It includes everything the old covenant has plus more. And so with the old covenant, he said, I've given you the power to get wealth. Well, in the new covenant, there's even more. Right? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of wisdom is able to reside on the inside of you and you just have a fountain of wealth on the inside of you that you can operate from. That's definitely better than they had it in the Old Covenant. Listen to this. I'm just going to read a bunch of Scriptures to you. Out of Proverbs. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. So if you think that it's not God's will for you to be wealthy then what you think is it's not God's will for you to be blessed. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. You can't separate it. Then he adds, without painful toil for it. Or painful toil adds nothing to it. You know, there's people that have money, have a lot of money, because they put in you know, sweat and blood and tears and all the hard work. And we're going to talk about, about hard work later. But 
that is their source. Their ability to work hard and, and to, to make money. And then there's other people that they walk in wealth because of the wisdom of God. They work smarter instead of harder, right? And the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Someone say, I'm blessed of the Lord. Here's another one. The house of the righteous, a proverb, the house of the righteous has great, well, let's just stop. Who here is considered righteous? That should be all of us. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you are considered the righteousness of God. Okay? So we are the righteous. Now, here's what it says about your house. The house of the righteous has great wealth. Hallelujah. But trouble accompanies the income of the wicked. Say, well, I don't know. I think I have trouble with my income. Yep. You just located yourself then. I find that funnier than you do. No, if you find trouble with your income, start talking to the Lord about it. Don't stay there, right? Say, Lord, what should I do about this? How can, because I know this isn't your plan for me to walk in troublesome problems for the income that I'm receiving. So, Lord, how should I handle it? And He'll show you. It's not His desire for you to go bumping along, barely making it, and having all this trouble just to be able to eat something and put clothes on. In Proverbs 22, it says this, Humility is the fear of the Lord. It's wages. Did you know humility has wages? It, it has pay. It has reward. There is something that comes with humility. In fact, in a, in a different Scripture in Proverbs, Proverbs 11.2, we read this last week, it says, with humility comes wisdom. So, the car shows up in the driveway. Who's out there? Oh, humility just drove in. Who's that in the passenger seat? Wisdom. Who's that in the back seat? Oh, looks like long life and honor and riches. Because they're all together. They all come together. It's a package deal. And so, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Riches and honor and life. So, to still answer that question, is there a connection between wisdom and wealth? Yeah, there is, and whether you believe it or not doesn't change it, it's still so. Now, you can be poor if you want to be poor, okay? That's your choice, you may be. But I'm here to tell you that's not God's will for you. God doesn't want you in poverty. That's not His plan for you. There's a better way. So does God want you to be rich? Yes, yes, yes. Someone say yes. You know, one of, the, one of the Proverbs says, the crown of the wise. So what's a crown? It's something you see. It, it's, it's something that's visible. It's like, it speaks to everyone who looks at someone. Oh, he's got a crown on. Someone important, right? King, I don't know. It, it carries a message. It's their calling card. The crown of the wise is wealth. So as a wise person, then we ought to be walking in wealth if, we're, if we are wise. Say, well, yeah, but pastor, my bank account is pretty low. It's certainly not wealthy. Well, we could say a lot about that and we probably will as we go on further into the series. But let me just say, don't put your eyes on your bank account. Put your eyes on the one that wealth comes from, the Lord. Trust Him as your source. And you'll have everything that you need. And we'll see examples of this. And 
we, we looked at the Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where, I'll just read it to you here. Um, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Now, most people, if they don't believe what I'm telling you tonight, let me just say it this way. If you're sitting here tonight going, wait a minute, am I in one of those health and wealth and prosperity places that believes the health and wealth gospel? Yes, you are. That's where you are tonight. And is there a proper use for health and wealth? Absolutely. Just because people have misused it, mistaught it, and had selfish motives for it, doesn't, and fallen into the one ditch, doesn't mean we should run to the other ditch and say, swear off all wealth. No, we need to find the wisdom of God and we need to find His will for us and to walk in it. You know, God has, there's always godly purpose for wealth. There's godly purpose for you to have wealth. There is a divine purpose for you to be wealthy. I mean, if, you're, if your whole thing is, is well, I just want enough for me and, and my family and, and I'm going to be content. Paul said to be content. Well, yeah, but you're taking what he said out of context. Paul also went on and he said, we need to take the Gospel to the whole world and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he wasn't saying I need just enough for my needs. He was saying I need enough to take the Gospel to the whole world. And so if we sit here with this mindset of, well, well, I have enough and so I'm not going to try to expand my business. I'm not going to try to make any more. You're being selfish. You're thinking only about you rather than the rest of the world and what the Lord wants to do through you. You know, I said this several times and it always gets some quick looks, but we don't want any more damn Christians. I mean, people who hoard things, damn it up to themselves. We're supposed to be a lake, right? And if you don't like that I keep saying that in sermon after sermon, just blame Jake here because I got it from him. It's really good. I like it. Because it really makes the point and it gets your attention. The Lord doesn't want you to hoard things. He has called you to be a conduit of His blessing to others and we're going to see Scripture for it later today. So there's a divine purpose for you having wealth. Now, I read that Scripture about he became, Jesus became poor so that we might be made rich. Now here's the, the disconnect. Most people that don't believe that God wants you to be rich, they hear that Scripture and they go, well, yeah, it's talking about spiritual things. No, it's not. Read your Bible and you'd know that. The whole chapter of chapter 8 where that's in, and the whole next chapter, chapter 9, is all about taking an offering to benefit the church in Jerusalem. The whole thing is in the context of giving money and taking an offering. And he makes the statement in the context of collecting money. He says, oh, by the way, Jesus was made poor so you could be made rich. Rich in what? Just wishing I could put something in the offering plate? No. Rich in actually being able to do and to help and to do good works. Because that's what we were called to do. All right, end of review. Let's go further now. What I really want to do is I want to teach you how to be rich. But before I do that, I want to teach you something else. Okay, is that all right? Can I teach you how to do something else before I teach you how to be rich? I'm going to teach you guys how to be poor. How to be broke and how to be in poverty. 
Who wants to sign up for that class? Man, nobody. Nobody wants to know how to be poor? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to teach you the actions that will lead to it. See, then you'll know what not to do. Right? There are dangers with being rich. Did you know that? Let's go over to 1 Timothy. We read this last week, but we've also read Proverbs 4 every week. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I talked about a danger about, about wealth. The danger of wealth. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy and he's giving him some instruction. He says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. Notice it does not say those who are rich. It says those who want to be rich. Those who have the desire to be rich. Those who are pursuing riches. If you want to be poor, here's the first way you do it. Pursue the riches instead of the one who gives them. You want to be poor. And, I, and yeah, you may make money doing that, but you're going to have poverty of a lot of other things going on in your life. And ultimately, it's also going to be physical poverty. No, he says those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap. Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we see here that the love of money, not money, money isn't evil, money is just a tool. Right? It's just a tool, and money, ta- we, sit, we explained it this way money takes on the characteristics of the person who's holding it, whether you be good or bad. Right? And how you use that money determines whether the money is good or bad. Money is inherently nothing, it's paper, right? But how you use it determines whether it's being used for good or bad. But the love of money will now bring out all sorts of evil. It will bring out all kinds of of destruction and things that are not God's will. In fact, just listen to some of these um, Proverbs that I'll read to you about this. Someone who has the the love of money. See, if if you love money, if money is what motivates you, then... You open yourself up wide open, number one, to, a, to deception. And number two, to being pulled into directions and things that are not the Lord's will. Are not His way for you. And you'll hear of an opportunity and you'll go, oh yeah, that's the Lord. But because you're listening to it through the filter of love for money, it's not the Lord at all. And you're deceived and you think, well, that was the Lord. And now you go into it and then you wind up hurt and in a trap and tempted and all this stuff. But if you are focused on loving the Lord and know that there's lots of blessings that come with loving Him and that He wants me to be rich, but He's my focus. My focus isn't on the riches. If you'll do that, now He can lead you into wealth. And you say, okay, well, I'll trick the system. I'll love you, Lord, so that I'm wealthy. Yeah, he's smarter than you. He can see right through that. Listen to some of these proverbs on this subject. Whoever increases his wealth through excessive interest collects it for one who is kind to the poor. Whoever increases his wealth through excessive interest. doesn't say through interest. Through excessive interest. More than what's reasonable and fair. Whoever increases his wealth this way 
There's something we know about this person. He loves money more than he loves people. And if you love money more than you love people, then that means you love money more than you love God. Because see, what we do with our money on this level is, an, is what we're doing with our money on this level. Because see, when God wants to get something to you, He doesn't, he doesn't have a, a, a printing press in heaven. He doesn't say, hey Gabriel, fire up the presses and, and print out $150 and send it down to someone. It's not how it works. Instead, he taps someone else on the shoulder and says, hey, give them $150. And he's like, hey, the Lord just told me. So they go over and give them $150. They're like, oh, praise the Lord, I was praying for that. See, that's how God works. He works through his agents that are in the earth, his ambassadors, his people. And if we're not willing to cooperate with him to make the flow of money do what it's supposed to be doing in the house of God and in his people, well, then he can't do what he needs to do in the earth. Remember, He's the vine, we are the branches. Where's the fruit? On the branch, not the vine. Can the vine produce fruit without a branch? No. It needs the branch. Just like the branch needs the vine to be able to produce fruit. So there's a wrong way to get wealth, and obviously this is one of them. And if you want that money taken from you and given to someone who's kind, to the poor, that means you'd now be back in poverty. This is one of the ways you do it is charge excessive interest. And love money more than you love people or God. Here's another proverb. One who hates dishonest profit prolongs his life. One who hates dishonest profit prolongs his life, lengthens his life. If you hate dishonest gain, making, making money on shady deals, pulling the wool over people's eyes, if you hate that, that is lengthening your days and making you live longer. It lengthens your days. Well, on the flip side of this, because we're talking about how do we be poor, we're, we're learning that. On the flip side of it is, if you want your days to be shortened, because remember, what's in wisdom's right hand? Long life. And her left hand is riches and honor. So if you want your days to be shortened, just make money by being a thief and a liar. Here's another proverb. We're learning how to be poor. These are the ways to do it. Whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Chase fantasies, then you'll, you'll be poor. Here's another one. A person in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. In a hurry to get rich. Here's another one. A greedy one is in a hurry for wealth. He doesn't know that poverty will come to him. So a person that's in a hurry to get rich, someone who is greedy, who's in a hurry for wealth, usually they're looking for what? Get rich quick schemes. And that's exactly what they are. And they don't work. Let me just tell you something about, about finances. If, if you come across an opportunity that's too good to be true, that's make you a millionaire overnight or whatever, if you come across an opportunity that's too good to be true, there's, there's one of several things going on. Alright? Either it absolutely is not true, and run away from it, or it's a miraculous thing of God, like salvation, for example. It's too good to be true. Right? You mean, He took my debt and gave me His righteousness? That's too good to be true. But praise God He did. Right? So that's a miracle. So it's a thing of God. So if it's something that's too good to be true, you have one of two choices. It's either a scam or this is God. 
And the only way to make the, the, the choice between the two is now for you to be led by the Spirit of God. To be looking at Him and saying, well, Lord, all my, you know, my time, my energies, they're all Yours. Is this where You want me to put my money? And a lot of times in those situations, the Lord will say, run, run, run. Here's another proverb on how to be poor. A greedy person stirs up conflict. But whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. So a greedy person, someone who loves money more than they do people, they don't care about how their actions affect others and it stirs up conflict. It leaves people wounded. It leaves people hurt. Because you care more about the profit than you do the person. Is there something wrong with profit? No, absolutely not. That's something also that God brings you. Profit. Here's another way to do it. We're finding ways to become poor. One who turns his eyes away from the poor will receive many curses. One who turns his eyes away from the poor. Or here's another one. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. Now it doesn't say that he's going to be poor if he shuts his ear to the poor. It just says that they too will cry out and not be answered. They too will come up against something that is beyond themselves and their ability and their natural means, whatever that is, and they're going to cry out and there's going to be no answer for them. All right. But we also know if that goes on long enough, that usually leads to poverty. So if you turn your eyes away from the poor, if you shut your ears to the cry of the poor, um, then you're cursed is what Scripture tells us. Now, we're not going to do it tonight. We'll do it in two weeks, Lord willing, when I come back and continue the series. And that is, is you know, there are, we don't give to need because need exists. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. Which need? Because there is way more need than you could ever possibly meet. So now you need to know, well, which one? Do I give money to that guy standing at the stoplight? Or do I do this over here? And so, that will be another whole sermon. But we don't. there are people that are not supposed to get money. You know, Scripture says if, if you're not willing to eat work, you shouldn't eat. So that would be one of the qualifiers. But that's going to be another sermon as we look more deeply into who should we give to. So we're talking about actions that lead to poverty. And we've been saying seek the blessing instead of the blesser. And that will do it. Let's go over to Proverbs 13. We're here in 1 Timothy and we'll come back here eventually. But let's go to uh, Proverbs 13. We're talking about wealth and wisdom and the connection between the two. How much can a poor person do for other poor people? Not that much. Not monetarily anyway. I mean, they can split their half a sub sandwich with them. But you know, that's not much. How much can a rich person do for the poor people? A lot. Tremendous amount. So are you beginning to see that the will of God is for you to do a lot, not just barely get by and both be in the gutter together? Alright, Proverbs 13, verse 23. Actually, let's go back to uh, verse 20. Because we talked about this in an earlier sermon. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. So if you want to be wise, walk with wise people. And look down in verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And that's a scripture that we've heard a lot of times. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just, stored up for the righteous. But I want to caution you on it because if you're more excited about, yay, the sinner's wealth is going to be mine, 
that's revealing that you love money and care more about the money than you do the individual. Who we want to become saved and come into the kingdom, and now that money came into the kingdom. That wealth. And now the Lord can direct them where they should put it. Verse 23. How to be poor. The uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food. But without justice, it is swept away. The uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food. In other words, he's saying this. It has the potential for abundant food to be out there in the uncultivated fields. But because they're not acting justly and working what they have available to them, it's swept away and it doesn't even exist. See, I've been in places, and this is a big problem in the world, is poor management of their resources. Unused resources that lead to poverty. You know, I I spent time in Liberia, Africa, and we would go back and we'd walk into the jungles and we'd go into, I mean, just very poor places and into these little jungle villages that are, you know, they don't even have shoes and half of them are naked and that kind of thing, right? Little thatched hutch. They don't have much. But on the way back there, walking on the trail, we would come across these whole glittery areas. And I'd be like, well, what's all this shiny, glittery looking stuff? And they said, oh, this is the place you could dig a diamond mine. I mean, you just start digging, you'll find diamonds or gold. We'd come across a different color rock that also looked very strange. And they said, oh, this is gold. If you would start digging here, you'd you'd get gold. And so then one of the guys says, yeah, my wife washes um, clothes down here in the river. And uh, in the pockets and in the clothes, she regularly um, gets out a bunch of gold dust. It's kind of like panning for gold. It's just floating down in the water because it's so fine. And And he pulls out a bag and he shows me the stuff. It's like, yeah, I've been, every now and then we collect it, and, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it. You know, at that time, I don't know what the price of gold was at that time, maybe 400, 800 bucks an ounce. Um, but what is that? I mean, they have these vast forests that are just amazing timber that could be used. I mean, they, they have so much wealth laying at their fingertips, but yet they lack the wisdom to know how to utilize it, to know how to tap into it, to know how to get a hold of it. And, you know, Scripture talks about the lack of knowledge leading to destruction. And so we knowledge is important, but let's just examine our own life. Where do I have resources that I'm not using with godly wisdom? What do I have at my disposal that I could use wisdom and show proper management to it? See, lack of wisdom, are you listening? Lack of wisdom is shown by poor management. It's shown by poor management. You know, when we started our hardwood flooring company out in Colorado, and um, we were, I was just young, green, and dumb. Full of energy, right? Full, Full of ideas full of zeal, but I lacked knowledge on how to handle money. I was taught how to work hard. I was, I mean, that's what we did. You know, we worked, and, and then when we were done with that, we found more work to work, and, and so that was the way I was raised. Never had one little bit of teaching on money handling. 
And so my wife, on the other hand, she grew up in a family, a multimillionaire, and he was very wise with his finances and his money. He taught his children how to handle money and, and, and the wise way of doing things. And so we get married, and um, we just start this new business, and man, we have checks bouncing, and we got this going wrong, and that going wrong financially. And one day she's like, well, what's in the account? So, well, you know, I'm not sure. So we get the, the uh, checkbook and, and we begin to look at it. And it's just a mess. I mean, things are missing. and We have no idea where we are, all right? And so now this is going to require going into the bank. And isn't it interesting that when you bounce a check at the bank that they charge you money for not having money? I always found that so fascinating, you know? So we'd have like... You know, all this money racked up, and oh, we thought there was money there, so now I have to, you know, go collect some money to put it in to cover these checks. And she looks at this thing and she goes, like, what are you thinking? Well, I guess I'm not, you know? This is true. What did I say? I said a lack of wisdom is shown by poor management. I didn't have wisdom in handling money. I knew how to make it. Okay, I was making money, but it was just falling through holes in the bag. For various reasons. One, we weren't giving unto the Lord. Right? We weren't doing any of that. And so, Jen comes along with the wisdom that she'd been taught. She's like, "All right, hold." she spent hours getting everything down to the penny. And if something didn't line up to the penny in that book, she wasn't satisfied until like a hound dog, she'd sniffed it out and got it right. And we began to know the, the X's and O's in our checkbook. And it wasn't long. And with management, her help in helping me to manage this, that pretty soon that account starts to grow. Pretty soon the day of having insufficient funds is behind us. And all of that to just show you that a lack of knowledge or a lack of wisdom, you can see it by poor management. You just have to look around you, look at yourself, look at how you're handling things and you'll see it. Let's go over to Proverbs 24 and verse 30. He says, I went by the field of a slacker and by the vineyard of one lacking sense. Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground. And the stone wall was ruined. I saw it and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. And your poverty will come like a robber. And your need like a bandit. There's another proverb that says this, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. He that has a slack hand becomes poor. If you're lazy, then this just comes on you by default. Poverty. If you want to be poor or in poverty, be lazy. Be slack. And it'll just come on you like a thief. It'll come. And you don't even have to work hard for it. It's the only thing you can get by not working hard. So, laziness. So, what does laziness mean that you have to like your work? I remember I was set free when I discovered that one. Because I thought I was lazy because I didn't like my work. And it turns out I wasn't lazy. I just didn't like that work. And once I figured that out and put two and two together and did something that I liked doing, well, things changed. But even if you're in a job that you don't like, Show your hand diligent. I'm getting ahead of myself. And you'll still prosper even there. And you know what's more? They will prosper because you're there. Potiphar, Joseph, you know the story? He 
prospered because someone wise was his slave. All right, 21. Proverbs 21, verse 17. Here's another way to be poor. The one who loves pleasure will become poor. The one who loves pleasure will become poor. It doesn't say you can't like it, but this is their focus. Just like when money becomes someone's focus, they're an idolater. Well, here, um, the one who loves pleasure will become poor. And whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. Well, wine and oil can be expensive, right? especially in their time. I mean, oil was a form of currency even. And um, if you love these things, you will not get rich. Look down in verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person. So they have wealth, they have riches. But a fool consumes them. A fool is willing to sacrifice tomorrow for today. They're willing to sacrifice tomorrow's meal for today's extra comfort. A wise person is willing to sacrifice today for tomorrow's sake. Not thinking of the now, but thinking ahead. Being willing to sacrifice now so that I can have something later. And here that's what he says. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a fool just eats it. And that was one of the issues that we had, is we were eating our seed money. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says that he gives seed to the sower. And he was talking about taking an offering. He says he gives seed to the sower. Why? So that you can sow it and reap a harvest. And you're going to take some from that harvest and set it aside as tithe to the Lord. You're going to take some from the harvest and set it aside as seed to plant again. And then the rest is to sell and profit and your clothing and your investments and all of these things. Now, if you come over here and go, wow, this seed over here, this, this, uh, this seed to plant back in the ground looks really good. I'm just going to eat it. And you eat that. Is there going to be a harvest next harvest season? No, because you ate your seed. But we do the same thing to the Lord. And that's what we were doing in our business. It's one of the reasons that we were struggling with poverty is because we were not returning the tithes to the Lord. We didn't recognize that a part of it belonged to Him. We also didn't recognize that we should sow seed. That we should, by our giving, our needs will be met. This is all through Scripture. And so, once we got a hold of that, and once we shifted that, we immediately began to see change. And we didn't get a hold of that until we had experienced some years of very good prosperity. I mean, we did very well. We made really good money. Our, our company was doing amazing, and all these good things, and and then, it finally caught up to us. Because guess what my goal was? My goal was not the Lord. My goal at that time was prosperity. And I can tell you why. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. And a lot of people think that applies to rich people. But the truth is, is when you're poor, you're just as tempted, if not more, to love money than you are when you have more than enough. And I grew up as a widow's son. We didn't know sometimes where the next week's groceries were going to come from. Me and my sister and my mom. And so I grew up with this thought process. I will never live that way. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to make money and I'm going to live in prosperity. I'm tired. You know, we'd, go, we'd have big holes in the end of our shoes and our pants and it wasn't because we were in style. It's because we didn't have money to buy more shoes. 
We'd run the soles off the bottoms of our shoes and all these different things because we didn't have, we, we, didn't, we didn't do any Christmas gifts. We didn't do any gifts besides birthday gifts because there was no money for it. And so this whole life of never having enough, never being able to do things because we don't have money, I had enough of it and I'm getting money. And I did. But then poverty eventually caught up with us and we lost everything. Everything. Lost our house, lost our businesses, lost everything. Our properties, everything. We even spent a couple of weeks with no home. Thankfully, someone was nice enough to say, hey, come live with us. And as that was all happening and as that all collapsed and fell into dust is when we found these truths. And as when we said, okay, we need to start making some changes. And in the midst of all of that, man, the Lord can redeem your stupidest choices. And He brought us up out of that. We made adjustments. We started returning the tithe to the Lord. We started um, giving offerings to the Lord above and beyond the tithe. We started all these different things. And the, and the Lord has just blessed us tremendously because of it. I remember just talking about a slack hand will make you poor. I remember in the middle of all of this, we'd gotten Spirit-filled. We, we now understood some of these things. And... Um, I didn't have any work. There was no work in sight. I'd ask everywhere at least three times. And I mean, there was so many people, a lot of work. It was like, just not good. Let's put it that way. And so I decided rather than being slack, I'm going to still do something with my time to bless somebody. So I called up a charity and I said, hey, is there a way, is there anything you guys need? My skills are in the construction world. Is there anything you guys need that I could do for you? It won't cost you anything. I mean, except materials. You, you guys provide that. But I'll do the work. Like, yeah, yeah. So I come down and, and they were doing this whole addition project onto the place. And, and so I sowed time. Because rather than, you know, there's a simple law in motion and I forget um, which, which law it is. But a body in motion tends to stay in motion. Alright? And so I thought, well, I'm going to at least stay active. I'm going to at least continue to work. I'm going to at least bless people because, hey, this is seed in the ground. And then the Lord will take care of me. I'm looking to Him as my source, not because I could have freaked out and been in fear because, well, everything was going to hell in a handbasket and we're pouring water into the milk and trying to make the milk stretch and you know, just on and on and on. And so, But the Lord, He helped us and, and He brought us out of it. One, we didn't have a slack hand. We read uh, verse 17. Yeah, verse 17 and 20. <clears throat> Listen to this one. Wise people live, uh, this is the Good News Bible. Wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. You know anyone like that? That spends their money as quickly as they get it. I got money in my pocket. It's burning a hole. I got to go spend it. Reminds me of that old George Jones song, Finally Friday. Some of you are too holy to know that song, but. Have you heard enough of how to be poor? All right, let's go. You know, we talked a lot about in the past eight messages, we talked a lot about um, how to become wise or how to get wisdom, how to acquire wisdom. We looked at ten ways on how to do it. But just as because wisdom brings riches with it, it's now time to talk about how to become wealthy, how to get riches. Not for your benefit, but for His purposes. And we're going to look at how to become wealthy. 
Wealthiness is not the objective. It's just simply side benefit. Okay? But there are specific actions that you can take that will lead to your prosperity. Actions that you can go out and do starting, well, tonight. You know, wise management brings wealth. And it's His will for you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But we say that in the wrong order. It's His will for you to be wise, healthy, and wealthy. Because the wisdom comes first. Proverbs 28 tells us this. I'll just read to you and then you can go over to Proverbs 27. The one who works his land will have plenty of food. So diligence. Diligence will lead to plenty of food. Use what you've got. Don't let it lie dormant like that guy that wouldn't work his field. It says, whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. It goes on and he says, a faithful person in the next verse will have many blessings. But the one who's in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. What kind of person's going to have many blessings? A faithful person. Faith. Are you faithful? This is one of the ways to have many blessings. Faithful with what? Well, faithful with what you put your word to would be one, but let's go deeper than that. Faithful to the Lord and His purposes. Because if you're faithful to the kingdom, remember Jesus taught it this way. He lists a bunch of needs that you may have, and then he says, but don't go after the need. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All the stuff that you need will be added to you if you make it about His kingdom and His righteousness. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about keeping our, a faithful person, being faithful to His purpose and to His reasons. You know, God's not against stuff. But stuff is not supposed to be the focus. You hang around God and you'll have stuff. Wise management brings wealth. Let's look in chapter 27 and verse 23. 27-23. We're going to give some instructions on management. Wise management. Know well the condition of your flocks. Know well the condition of your flocks. Pay attention to your herds. Notice that herds is plural. That right there is wealth, right? More than one herd. I mean, there's flocks and herds. Know well the condition of your flock. I told you how my checkbook was just an abs. I had no idea what my ledger was and where I was. Did I know well the condition of my flock? No, I did not. If I just work harder though, maybe it'll take care of itself. Laugh here, right? Not true. <laughs> See, I can laugh at myself. Know well the condition of your flock. That means that you're going to know your expenditures. You're going to know your liabilities. That means that you know the money that's going out. You know the money that's going to be required to go out the next month. That means that you're thinking in advance and you've got a schedule going on either on the calendar or on a notebook or in your mind about what's needed next week. And you are being diligent and knowing what are my resources that I have available to me. Right? Know the state of your flock. Know well. Not just know about, but know it well. That doesn't mean you have to do it all. You can assign this to people, but have, have oversight. Delegate, but 
give oversight to make sure that things are right. He goes on and says, pay attention to your herds. The literal meaning, if we were going to translate this literally, it would say, set your hearts to your herds. In other words, they've got your attention. You know the herds. You know which one's limping. You know which one needs extra care. You know which one doesn't eat because the others crowd them out. You know, you know your herds. What else does he say here? For wealth is not forever. Not even a crown lasts for a lifetime. So you need to be diligent or it'll just pass away and be gone. You know, people that um, make it rich in the lottery and they're overnight millionaires and then pretty soon it's all gone again is because they operated under the same principles that they were under when they were poor to begin with. And that led to the ebbing away of their wealth. And by the way, did you know that to become an overnight success takes 20 years? Most people just see the success. Man, it was overnight. How did that happen? Yeah, it took 20 years of effort and prayer and believing and sowing and following the Lord behind it. I mean, David said this. He said about himself. He said, this poor man cried. He was talking about actual money poverty. Look it up. This poor man cried and the Lord heard me and delivered me from all my troubles. Well, there was some years that had passed. Right? There was some years that passed before he walked in wealth. But he kept his eyes on the promise and he cried and the Lord delivered him. Uh, he'll do this to you. Let's read verse 25. When hay is removed and new growth appears and the grain from hills is gathered in. Okay? Talking about a certain season and time. In other words, the first cutting of hay is gone. Now the second one is, is, is coming up. It says, The lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, food for your household, nourishment for your female slaves. What are we talking here? He is... He is detailing that part of this, what's going to come in, is going to be for your needs. Your clothing. Your food. The lambs are for your clothing. The milk is for you guys to eat. Your necessary needs. But, he says, the goats, therefore, your investments. Your field. You're going to buy a field. You're going to grow. You're going to expand. And so there is wisdom. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, giving us instructions on how what wise management looks like. There's a portion that goes to this. There's a people, they have a name for it today. They call it a budget. Create a budget and live within your means. We do premarital counseling for the couples that come want us to do to, to uh, do their wedding ceremony. And one of the things on the financial lesson, our main point is simply this: spend less than you make. So you have to know what you're making and you have to know what you're spending. And if you'll always spend less than you make, that means each week you're going to come a little further ahead. If you always spend less than you make. Most people don't do that. No, I shouldn't say most people. Some people. The fools don't do that. And they say, I have X amount of dollars to spend because I pulled the app up on my phone and looked at my bank account and it says there's $500 there, so I have $500 to spend. That's being a fool. Because there's automatic charges that are going to hit. There's checks still in the mail that haven't hit that thing. You don't know what's hit and what hasn't hit. You're just going by what the balance is in this moment. You say, well, Pastor, you seem to have some energy on that. I do, because I walked it. And it was stupid. 
Don't do that. Bless God for a wise wife. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's look at an example quickly. We're not, we're not, and this, we're going to go a little bit longer. So uh, if you have your hopes up or you're wanting to go to the bathroom, you might want to go because we're going to be here for a little while yet. Mark 6, and let's look at an example of Jesus of using wise management with what he had been given. In Mark 6, and well, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, verse 30, Mark 6, verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Someone say vacation. See, He wasn't against vacation. But guess what? While He's on vacation, He still ministers to people. He wasn't on vacation from the Lord. When He took vacations, it was to go be with the Lord. To recover and recharge. And he says, for many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Man, that's busy. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. What they need is a faster boat. But you know, this crowd beats them. So when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. Now we know that there was 5,000 men there plus women and children. 5,000. You give them something to eat. They said, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? That's just under a year's worth of wages. It's 200 days wages, but nobody worked 200 days straight, right? You got weekends off and holidays, and so it's 200 days. You figure out 200 days, and, and it's almost a year's worth of wages. And he says, uh, um, so they're asking, should we take a year's worth of wages, and, or a little under, and let's say a three-quarter year's worth of wages and go buy bread and give them something to eat? Is that going to be enough? Apparently, they had that at their disposal right then in that moment. Else they wouldn't have said it. Right? They didn't say, well, we've got a gazillion dollars. No, it wasn't a hypothetical. They're like, well, is this going to be enough? Now, how many of you, just talking about walking in wealth, because most people think that Jesus was his pauper and he wasn't. How many of you have a three-quarter you're carrying it with you. Three-quarter year of wages at your disposal right now. I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but you answer it on the inside, right? How many of us have that kind of money at our disposal to just say, yeah, we'll feed 5,000 people? So he wasn't just poor. He, he had something that was... Plus, when we read the story, you see how rich he really was. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Remember, what resources do you have at your disposal now? What do you have? What skills do you have? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I don't really have any skills. But do you have time? Yeah, I have time. Okay, that's a resource. Everyone's been given the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. So you have to manage your time. Manage your time and you'll see an increase in your wealth. That's a whole different sermon. 
So he says, what do we have available to us? And so they, they went to go see and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Five pieces of bread, five little, five little loaves and two fish. This is a little, we read in another account that this was a little boy's lunch. So he was going to eat pretty good. Two fish, five loaves of bread. Yeah, he's doing well. But Jesus, he takes this. He took the five loaves and the two fish. Notice it doesn't say, and he sat down and had himself lunch. But yet, too often, and this is where people get into the prosperity ditch, is where they think the finances are for their own consumption. Now, you certainly can enjoy it. We read that in Timothy, where he says he gives us richly all things to enjoy, and he was talking to rich people about their money. So you can enjoy it, but that's not the purpose of it. That's just another side benefit to it. Right? So he didn't take this meal for himself, but he had another motive for it. He had God's purposes behind it. And so he took the little that he had and he blessed it. In, in John's Gospel it says, and he thanked the Lord for it. He thanked God for what he had. Are you grateful for what you have? For the little. Man, five loaves and two fish ain't much. I mean, if it's a boy's lunch, it's not even a man's meal. Are you grateful for what you have even though it doesn't look like it's enough? Now notice he ain't going by what he's seeing. He's going by what he's seeing on the inside with his spiritual eyes, not with his natural eyes. So he took this bread and, and he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and it says he keeps giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Everyone was eaten and filled, plus they had an abundance left over. Way more than they began with. Do you see what happens when you put the law of sowing and reaping into motion? Everyone has a full tummy. They're going, man, I think I ate too much. And they still have 12 baskets over here. And they started out with five and two. Like, he, he didn't take it and say, yay, I got myself a meal. It was for the benefit, the wealth that is being distributed was for the benefit of others. But guess who got to have a full tummy too? Jesus. In His giving, in His obeying the Father, He also was filled and satisfied. Plus, all these people were affected. Wise management. Notice another thing here. Order comes before increase. He called them to order. Remember in Proverbs what we read, know well the state of your flocks. That means order. You know your, your numbers. You know what's going on. You know your animals. Know well the state of your flocks. Here Jesus says, all these people are standing around in a bit. Has anyone ever been in a crowd where they just automatically stand in groups of 50 or hundreds? No. That's done deliberately on purpose. So there's this huge crowd. and How much are we going to need? Well, I don't know. Tell you what, divide them up into groups of 50s and 100s, it'll be easy to count. We know how much to believe God for. And you're now, if you're in different groups like this, you're, it's a lot more easy to distribute it. It's not one big mass of people. You can reach each group individually. And so he brings order to the multitude before the increase was experienced. So there must be order. This is a biblical principle. There must be order before the increase comes. And if you're thinking, well, I'm just going to leave my 
flocks in a state of disarray, but I'm believing God for increase, you are deceiving yourself. Actions that lead to wealth. How to be rich. I'm going to turn with me to Matthew 6, and then from there I'm going to read a number of Scripture to you that you're not going to turn to. You'll just, if you want to take notes, you may, but I'm going to go through them quickly. And I'm going to very quickly give you how some more actions on how to be rich. In Matthew 6 and verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. To be seen by them. That's the motive. To be seen by them. It doesn't mean that you can't do righteousness in front of someone. But if your motive is to be seen, don't do that. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, this is called alms in the King James, but it it literally means a kindness that you're doing to the poor. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. There's the purpose. See, that's what they're after. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. In other words, they received their applause. That was their reward, recognition from men. If you do your righteous deeds, your alms, your giving to the poor in front of people for the purpose to be seen of people, then your reward is just simply, oh, they thought better of you. And that kind of reward is just decays and goes to nothing in a few short weeks or months. People forget what you did. But, in verse 3, he says, when you give to the poor. Now notice he doesn't say, if you give. It is expected you're going to do it, according to the words of Jesus. When you do it. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly, and this word means visibly. Will reward you visibly. When you do your alms, don't even, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't don't pull out your calculator. Don't go to the bank account. Don't, don't, you know, send it out on Facebook or Instagram. Does it mean you can't have record of it? No, that's not what it means. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, the more secret you can be, hallelujah, the Father, He sees in secret and He's going to reward you. Reward you. I told you last week that testimony of how I had received over a thousand dollars as a personal blessing or a birthday gift. The Lord had put it in my heart to sow it. Sowed all of it. Almost all of it, um, this is the part I didn't tell you, went into alms. I didn't even tell Jen. I didn't tell anybody that I did it. She didn't know what I did with my birthday money. It just disappeared. Maybe I still have it waiting on that one gun, you know. But left hand secret from the right. And I didn't tell her. Because it wasn't her money. It wasn't, she wasn't going to do anything. It didn't matter to her. Now, if she would have asked me, I would have told her. But I had my eyes on this verse right here. And then the Lord will reward you openly. Well, what was the reward? you remember? I mean, $1,000 given, and I'm reaping $6,500, $7,000 in personal benefit to go on a trip as a direct result of that. And once that happened... Then I started sharing. Here's the testimony. Here's how this verse works. Here's how these things happen. Hey, if someone would uh, bring up the children from Children's Church so that they can have communion with us. 
Now listen to these Scriptures. Talking about how to be rich. How to become wealthy. I'm going to read out of Proverbs. The one, uh, Proverbs 28-27 if you're taking notes. The one who gives to the poor will not be in need. Here's how you do it. If you don't want to be in need, give to the poor. Psalms 41, verses 1 and 3 says, Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. All because he was considerate of the poor. Health and wealth and protection. Here's another one. Proverbs 19.17 Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. Loan, it says. Do you think the Lord would not pay back His loans? If the Lord came to you and said, Hey Gene, I'd like to borrow $1,000 from you. You know, showed up in the bedroom. Says Gene. And so Gene says, I'll give you $1,000. He loans him $1,000. Do you think that the Lord's going to repay his debt? Yeah, with plus, right? With plus, right? Well, here it says, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord and He will give a reward to the lender. Now, just be real clear on this. Getting back the original investment that you loaned to the Lord is not a reward. That's the original investment. Reward is above and beyond. Alright, listen to another one. Proverbs 22.9 I'm teaching you how to be wealthy. A generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. I'm teaching you how to be wealthy in Proverbs 28.27 The one who gives to the poor will not be in need. Psalms 112 verses 1-9 through Listen to this. Hallelujah! Happy is the person who fears the Lord taking great delight in His commands. His descendants will be powerful in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Check this out. Wealth and riches are in His house and His righteousness endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous one will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured he will not fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. Now here's what I'm gonna here's where we're gonna end in Psalms 112 with. He distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Now, the caution, as I told you earlier, is if your goal in doing alms and giving to the poor is so that you can have wealth, you are you are hurting and harming yourself. But if you do it because the Lord said to do it, and do it with faith that He'll do His part of it, and you're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus and distribute freely and generously, He will do His part. And there's something that follows it. In 2 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter is about, I talked about it several times tonight, it's about taking an offering. And that's where we find that famous verse that God loves the cheerful giver. It's where we find the verse that He increases your seed to sow. All right, all of that is in this chapter. But he ends it with this, talking about an offering that's going to be given to other believers, the saints. Because you do understand that the Word says that what you do especially to the household of faith. That's our first priority. See, our first responsibility is other believers. 
even before the Gentiles, before the unbelievers. Our first responsibility is other believers. We should be, believers should be the envy of everyone around them. Listen, if you attend this house, you are never going to go without food. You are never going to go without a roof over your head. This house, the people in this house will see to it that you don't. Second Corinthians, here's what happens. It's Thanksgiving week. I told you I'm going to give you a Thanksgiving message. Your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. Did you know that? Your generosity will result in people giving thanks to God. 2 Corinthians 9, 12, and 15 talking about an offering being given to the saints. Listen, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because the proof provided by this ministry, this, this offering, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. All of it said on the heels of taking an offering for someone in need. So what we're going to do, you may have never seen it done this way before, but um, ushers, if you would bring, bring the alms basket. Okay, over here. Um, what we're going to do is there is, I think, uh, a little over $800 in here in cash in this basket. And what we're going to do is we're going to pass the basket. And if you need if you have need, I'm not talking about wanting the latest iPhone, all right, about being selfish. I'm talking about need. There's need in your life. If you need something, you take money out of the basket. And if you have more than you need, then put some in for somebody else. And we're going to, between now and the end of the year, you'll see it in the lobby every weekend uh, for the same purpose that you can take out or put in as you need it. And as we pass the basket and do this, don't be watching what your neighbor does. Let them do what they do in secret. All right? Now, you've got to be aware enough so that you can take the basket when they're handing it to you. Right? But, but let them, it be between them and the Lord and what they do. And let's give unto the Lord and let's do what He says and just put it into practice and start looking for the Lord to show up in the ministry to people who have need. Lord, we thank You for meeting all of our needs in this house. Lord, we bless You and we thank You that You've made us the head and not the tail. That we're above and not beneath. And that You always cause us to triumph through Jesus Christ. And we bless You for it. Father, we just ask You to, to move on the people to do what You would have them to do. Lord, as we, as we sow tonight, Father, I just ask that You would absolutely do what You've promised in Your Word and, and reward those who give to the poor. And Father, for those who have need, we thank You for meeting it. We thank You that You have brought them into a house where the needs are met. And we bless You for it, Lord. We bless You for prospering us. We thank You, Father, for giving us jobs, for giving us increase, for giving us... Um, yeah, Lord, for promotion. I thank You for promotion for each one. I lift each one up to You, Lord, and I just ask You to... Give them wisdom for their finances. Wisdom in how to manage their finances. Wisdom in what to do with their finances. Where to invest in their finances. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I thought the basket was going the whole time. When the basket is done going through, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together and remember what He's done for us. We like to do this at least once a month. Not in any particular given weekend, but just as the Lord directs us. I want to encourage you that when you take the bread, take it for your healing. Paul said this, he said, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents the physical broken body of Jesus. And I've said this to you before, the physical broken body of Jesus was for your physical healing. Not a soulish heal. I mean, not yeah, you can be soulishly healed, not a spiritual healing, but it is for your body and for your soul, your mind, will and emotions. The blood of Jesus was for your spirit, for you to be born again. So apply the right thing to the right part of yourself. And so when you take the bread, take it for your healing. You know, Isaiah says, by his wounds we were healed. Or Peter said, we were healed. Isaiah said, we are healed, because he was looking forward to the cross. So by his wounds we were healed. That's in his flesh. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember that new covenant we talked about? The Lord wants you healthy. He wants you healed. He wants you delivered. He wants you rich. He wants you set apart for His purposes. It says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So when you take the cup, thank Him for the removal of your sin that He made you righteous, that He paid the penalty of sin for you. When you take the bread, just take it for your divine healing or to walk in divine health, both soulishly and physically in your body. Has the basket made it through yet? Okay. And if you're sitting here and you go, you know, I was just too embarrassed to ask or to take any money. That's all right. We don't want anyone to be embarrassed. Um, it'll be in the lobby afterwards and, um, and you can take it then or put money in. Alright, what we're going to do to take communion and then as soon as uh, when we're done taking communion we're going to just go right into worship. We're going to start in the back rows. You can file up the center aisle out each side back up along the side back to your seat and we'll just do that row by row starting in the very back. And then once we all have it together, we'll just take it together. And I'll kind of cue you as we go. And the children, if you have children here with you, they're welcome to join us in this. Um, We're great. You know, the blood of Jesus covers our whole family. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Father, we just thank you so much for sending Jesus, for loving us enough that you gave that You gave Him for our redemption. Thank You that You made a way for us to be Yours and to be Your turn and to walk in Your new covenant. With so We just receive the bread for our healing tonight, both in our body and our soul, in Jesus' name. Father, we thank You. Thank You for the healing power working and available to us right now in this room. And I call everybody whole and healed 
In the name of Jesus, we receive it. And then we take the cup and we recognize that the blood of Jesus is what makes all the difference for us to be family or not. It's what makes us His. It's what makes us His property. Right? We are His and He is ours. So take the blood as the reminder of that new covenant that you are a child of God. Father, thank You for Your kindness to us. For making us family. For calling us Yours. For making a way and giving us Your righteousness. We bless You for it. Someone say, just thank Him in your own words. How many of you are thankful anyway? You can pass your cups into the center aisle and then also stand with me. We're going to worship and just thank the Lord. We bless you, Lord. You are my Lord. Let's just tell him that. Jesus, you're my Lord. I submit and yield to you. I believe that you've been raised from the dead. And I bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Lord, I ask you to show us what You've given to us, maybe the things we've even forgotten that You've given or just taken for granted. But Father, reveal to us, awaken within us how these things are blessings from You. And we're going to give You praise for it. We're going to thank You. We'll stop in that moment and we'll just say, thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Lord. Jesus. Oh, grateful God. Thank you, Lord. The name above all names. Jesus, Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There's nothing like the Word of God, is there? It is the best of the best. And we're going to open up in Psalms 118 to encourage you tonight in our time of worship together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. That's like our, our trademark, rejoicing and being filled with 
rejoicing and thanksgiving to the Lord. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Glory to God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light and bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Is the Lord good to you? Amen. Well, let's stand together, family, in the house of the Lord and just the assembling of ourselves to worship the Lord and give him praise. He is certainly due. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Someone say, I am redeemed. Turn to your neighbor on your one side and say, I've been redeemed. Now, now, now fish just a little bit and ask your other neighbor, are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? You know, the salvation of the Lord is all inclusive and for everybody. And so we just celebrate that tonight every time we come together, really. His salvation is good in every way. You may be seated. We're going to uh, have a special moment here and dedicate a wee one to the Lord. Looking around, see if I can find them. Where? There you are. Are you guys ready? Here at Church of the Word, we recognize that God is the giver of life. And um, it's always a gift. It's always precious. And when God gives life, He expects some good things are going to come from that life. When God gives life, He doesn't think it's, it's someone that's useless or someone that there's not a plan for. But when He gives life, He already has plans in place for that individual. Even though maybe the people don't see it yet, but there is a plan and a destiny for little Madeline. Hallelujah. We're going to, in a moment here, um, I'll ask a series of questions that you as parents can respond with, we do. And then the questions I ask you as a congregation, you can say, we do as well. Um, but before we do that, is there anything that you guys wanted to say? I didn't ask you this in advance. You don't have to say anything. Yeah, I just, just want to yeah, just want to share that uh, we are blessed to be part of this house and just thank each one of you for being our family and accepting us for who we are and uh, just being a truth speaking and believing house of God so uh, just thanks to each one of you and God bless you awesome well we're grateful that you guys are family Madeline Grace 
Jonathan and Katie, do you desire that Madeline will grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to provide for Madeline a Christian home where God is honored and His Word is taught? Here, hold on. Don't answer yet. Yes. I'll let you hold that for the both of you. Do you pledge yourself to live in such a way that your words and actions will commend Jesus and His church to Madeline? Yes. Do you promise that you will be a spiritual guide for Madeline, praying and watching for the day when she will be ready to receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior? We do. All right, you the people of God in this house, do you covenant with Jonathan and Katie to provide a loving church home for Madeline? We do, yes. Do you promise to continue teaching the Bible in this house so that Madeline will never lack hearing the truth of God's Word? We do. Amen. Alright, let's, let's pray and set her unto the Lord. Father, I thank You so much for this precious gift of life. And Lord, we just right now, we set apart Madeline to You for Your purposes, for Your glory for the destiny you've created for her. Father, we ask you to work it in her even at a young age. Give her an awareness of what you would have her to do. Lord, I ask that you protect her all the days of her life. The angel you've assigned to her, operate according to Psalms 91 and protect you, Madeline, from now until you're very old. I thank you, Lord, for life and health in her. And Lord, I ask too for wisdom. Wisdom for Jonathan. Wisdom for Katie. Just give them the knowing and understanding of how to raise up Madeline. How to train her. How to bring her into a place that will glorify you in every way. In Jesus' name. And amen. Well, here is a gift for her. As well as that. Right, you're welcome. You may be seated. One of the most astounding things about having a little baby, especially for the first one, is you go to leave the hospital or, or wherever you had it, maybe you had it at home, but you have that moment where you realize they don't come with an owner's manual. Right? How are we supposed to know what to do? You know, and then there's something on the inside of you, a knowing that starts to kick in and brew and, and well up on the inside of you, and that's the, that's the wisdom of God on the inside of you. The knowing on what to do. And whenever you come up against it and you don't know what to do, what do the parents here do? You, you ask, right? And the Lord gives you the wisdom on how to raise, how to train, where to be, where not to be. Amen. All right, we're going to send the children down to Children's Church and the uh, teachers. And they're going to present the Word of God to them. And while they're going, you can turn to your neighbor, greet someone, find someone you don't know, introduce yourself. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see everybody loving on each other, eager to talk to each other. Trust that you're glad to be with us. We would like to welcome you. If you're here for the very first time, could you just raise your hand so we can notice you all right there in the back? Welcome. We're glad you're with us tonight. Trust that you'll be glad as well. All right, well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you need a cash envelope uh, for your giving, you can raise your hand 
and the ushers will get one to you. If you're giving by credit card, uh, please fill out all of the blanks. How many know that the tithe is the holy portion? That's what the word tells us, is that the tithe is the holy portion and that it belongs to the Lord. You know, tithing predates the law. You know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, well, that was, tithing was in the law, so that's, we don't have to, we, we, that's no more, that's no longer. But tithing predates the law. Um, Abraham is the first man that we have record of that tithed, but, um, I mean, yeah. He's the first man that we have record of who tithed. But if you back up even further than that, think of in the Garden of Eden. You know, God gave them all these trees, all these, all the fruit and produce there, but there was a portion that was reserved that was not theirs. So even back beyond or back before uh, Abraham was that principle. But, you know, love of God, that predates the law. That still carries right on through. Faith, that was before the law. That carries right on through. So it is not uh, limited to the law. It predates that. So turn to Genesis. I want to read to you out of Genesis 28, and I'm going to start in verse 13. Because I want you to see that when you tithe, you're entering in covenant. It's, co- it's a covenant thing. And I want you to see uh, where this began. I know we've read before where God established the covenant or the promise to Abraham, but here he is in Genesis 28. He's establishing it with his grandson, Jacob. And this is the story where uh, Jacob had set out for Haran, and he went to spend the night. He uses a stone for a pillow. Poor guy. He needed a, he needed a my pillow pillow. <laughs> but anyways, he lays down. He's going to sleep. And in, his, in the night, he has this dream of the stairway or the ladder reaching to heaven, a stairway, I think it was, and angels descending and ascending to heaven. And at the top, it says, was the Lord. Verse 13 says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. See, that's me. That That, that was us right there he was speaking about us he says i am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and i will bring you back to this land i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised you and so jacob wakes up from this and he was like wow that was god i mean it says he says that he was afraid said that he it was like a some translations bring out um like it was a fearsome place or a fearful place he was the fear of the lord was upon him and he recognized this dream was of God. And so he takes the stone that he'd been using as a pillow, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of that, and he called the place Bethel. And then, verse 20, we see his response to this. See, he had a choice. God gave him this vision, this dream. He's establishing covenants. He's establishing the promise he had given to his grandfather. And, and he gives him this dream, and it says, Here, I'll be your God. I will protect you. I will provide. I'll be your source. Hey, he has to respond to that. How's he going to respond? Verse 20 says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. 
And of all that you give me, see, he's recognizing anything he has came from the Lord. All that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So his response was, yes, God, I receive that. I believe that. And here's my declaration of it. I'm tithing to you. I I believe you're my source. Aren't you so glad for this tithe covenant? I mean, I know I am. It's the way out. It is. It has been so huge in our lives in bringing us out of poverty and just first things first. You know, it's a choice. Just like uh, Abraham, just like Jacob, it's a choice to receive God as your source. It's a choice to make God your source. I mean, you can you can be your own source. You can go right ahead. It's all on you. You can stress and strive and struggle and, and you know... It's your choice. Or you could have supernatural help. Or you could say, yeah, God, I, I make you my source. I acknowledge you as the giver, the provider for all these things. And this is my outward declaration of that inward belief. And I'm going to return the tithe, the tenth of all that you give me. And hallelujah. Not on our own. All right. Well, let's, um, let's pray over the tithe and let's, I just really want to encourage you. I know we, we teach each week on tithing. We teach that God is our source. But through the week, Monday through, well, Sunday. It's going to say Sunday, but that you're declaring, no, I'm blessed. I'm provided for. God, you're my source. And then I come into the service and when the congregation and then, you know, with company of God's people, I make that outward declaration. He's my source, and I'm trusting him for every need to be met and on time. Amen? All right. Well, Father, we are so grateful to be your children tonight, and we're thankful for the covenant that you established with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We are thankful for the promises that you've made. And, Father, we just gladly return the tithe to you, knowing that you are the source of all good things, knowing that you're the provider, knowing that you're the protector, and we just acknowledge that. So I declare these tithers blessed. I declare these tithers protected. And every need that anyone has in this house, Lord, I just thank you that the answer is on the way. The provision is already on the way in the name of Jesus. And so be it. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Tomorrow night is the barn party for the youth and young adults, so that's going to be at the Zimmerman's Barn at 5 o'clock, 5 to 9. All right, next thing on the bulletin I really want you to pay attention to is the Christmas party, which is December 10th. So, new thing, it's not here at the church. So if you come here with something to share with, with food or something, you're not, you're going to miss the whole shebang. So it's not going to be here and you don't need to bring any food. Isn't that awesome? You just show up and be uh, delighted. So, <laughs> so the important thing that you need to listen to is you must sign up because whoever signed up for is who we're going to plan on coming and have food for. So if you want to make sure that you're counted and there's food enough for everyone, please sign up in the back. That's super important. Um, normally, we don't require registration for the uh, Christmas party, but this year we do need you to register. So please, uh, there's going to be some ladies with some clipboards maybe, so don't dodge them. Just sign, and then you can go down to your snacks downstairs. Also a new thing, there's going to be a cookie swap. 
Okay, it's not required. You don't have to, but if you want to, if you want to bring a dozen cookies and participate in this cookie swap, then go right ahead, bring your dozen cookies. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. That's not required. Registration is. All right. Uh, continue to pray for Jim Wolf. He has been moved to a new location, and he now can receive visitors. So I would encourage you, if you can show up physically to see him, that would be, I'm sure he would appreciate it. We were there this week, and he was just being able, it was just this past week that he was able to begin to receive visitors after not having them for over over a month. Can you imagine being cut off for that long? So um, it if you can't be there, you can always send a, a card or word of encouragement or something. The address is here in the bulletin. And we are also going to be passing out your Christmas cards. So if you want to have those passed out, go ahead, bring them to the church, and we will make sure they get to the correct name. Oh, also the, is it the Mirabella's? The Mirabella's newsletter is in the back lobby. So that, is, that can be picked up as well. <clears throat> 